this is the Fast Track Impact Podcast for researchers who wanted to be more productive and achieve real-world impacts from their research. This week I want to talk about getting your most important work done. And of course, uh, this is about priorities. This is not just what is most important necessarily to your boss, what is most urgent, what is most pressing. It is that deep call on your life, on your career, those things that you yearn to do, that when you do them, when you even just do a little bit of those things, that you feel more alive, more like, yeah, I'm moving in the right direction. This is, this is what I'm called to do. This is what I'm meant to be doing. Uh, and we've all been there, we've all experienced that. But sadly, it's not a day-to-day experience, um, at least in my experience, it's not. Um, so, so how can we make room for those those really deep things? Um, so, I'm going to recap on some of the, the stuff that uh, that we've talked about previously in uh, in this podcast uh, around the productive researcher and how to find and pursue priorities. Uh, and I'm going to also use this as a, a way to describe some of uh, my priorities for 2020 and explain that uh, sadly this is going to be one of the the last episodes of uh, of the of the podcast for 2020. Uh, I've got uh, three episodes pre-recorded um, to go out uh, to, that will coincide with the release of my uh, next paper with uh, Bella Reichard um, and a bunch of very good colleagues. Uh, which uh, is long anticipated. Uh, you've heard me talking about it, alluding to this over the last uh, year or so, probably longer, it's taken us a long time, on uh, what makes a four-star impact case study. So we've got three episodes on that, uh, reading from the paper, but also discussing how Baller and I have been applying that evidence um, in, in case study reviews over the last year. So you've got that to look forward to. Um, it, there may be the odd random podcast episode, but... Uh, for me, this is about priorities, and um, and uh, and for me, I'm shifting priorities for 2020 to use that time that I've been carving out of my diary for the podcast to write my next book. So, uh, what I'm doing at this one is zooming out and asking myself, um, what is it that I need to achieve to meet those deepest priorities at at core. And for me, the 2019 was about shifting how I achieve this goal to change the way researchers around the world generate and share knowledge so they can change the world. Uh, There's only one of me. Uh, I'm striving for better and better work-life balance. And it's quite clear that that just doing more and more trainings is not the answer. We've tried going down, well, maybe we could franchise, maybe we could employ other trainers. But ultimately, this is about um, a a course which has a deep heart. And and for me, that, that needs to be something that I keep really close kind of quality control on. Uh, so, uh, so it's just me, um, and so 2019 was all about trying to build this into something that that could reach people more effectively online. Um, and there are still elements of that. Um, so we've uh, we've had the podcast, we've had the vlog. Um, uh, I've got a, a new online course coming out some point in 2020, and we're going to keep trying to to, to 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 broaden that reach as far as we can. But for me, 2020 is about shifting gear and saying, well, okay, up until now, Fast Track Impact has been about changing the way researchers generate and share knowledge. But what about the systems that those researchers are in? And uh, over the last year and a half of doing the productive researcher training, 
uh, there's a conversation that happens at the beginning of each training where people say, well, yeah, Mark, this is all very well and good, but what about the workload allocation model? What about my teaching load? What about uh, my managers and all of these targets and ref and uh, and the metricization and, and managerialization of, uh, of academia? Uh, how can we actually solve some of these bigger issues? And my answer to date has been, well, yeah, uh, we can try and uh, we can try and solve those those issues. We can go on strike. We can uh, lobby. We can we can fight. We can we can do what we can, and we should, uh, I would argue, uh, fight against the worst abuses of powers that we see in uh, in our institutions. But you can spend your whole life doing that and uh, and and never actually achieve your most important priorities. And so my emphasis is, well, yeah, in parallel with that, though, let's make sure that we do what we can to protect ourselves, to protect our work-life balance, to make what we do sustainable, and to do what we can to get a sense of satisfaction, of inspiration, of of doing the most important work of our lives, despite the systems that are around, around us. And that's really working each time I do trainings. Uh, in addition to the impact of the training, I get people coming up to say to me, you know what, I've read your book and it's transformed my career. I've made huge decisions. I'm doing things differently. I'm doing a different job even as a result of, of reading The Productive Researcher. Um, but now uh, this is about shifting gear into saying, well, what could we do to change the way that we systemically generate knowledge, how our institutions work, how we, um, uh, how we manage and, and organize research groups, uh, schools, faculties, entire universities. Is there a better way of doing this? And not just a smarter way, but a way that has deeper heart to it. Um, and I think that there is. So, um, so let's, let's dive into the general, uh, first of all. Um, and uh, and just start to think about this this idea of well, yeah, Mark, I'm uh, I too have been thinking about this. It's beginning of New Year. It's uh, it's uh, January uh, still while I'm recording this, and and I'm asking myself what what can I do to make this year count? Uh, I'm looking back at 2019, feeling a bit frustrated perhaps at what I didn't achieve. Um, but uh, but yeah, 2020 maybe I could do something different, <clears throat> and. Uh, the problem, of course, is that at this point, um, I'm still working within the system. I've still got my full-time job and my full teaching load and all those admin roles and, and, and life and, and, and pressures with my, my kids and, and whatever else. Yeah, so that stuff isn't going to go away. But what can I do within that system to start to edge things forward and do that best work of my life? Um, <coughs> and... Uh, for me, the start at the deep work of understanding truly what your priorities are uh, and asking why is it that I do what I do? What is it that most inspires me? And so the technique that I use is a technique I use in, in many of my uh, research interviews as a social scientist, which is um, just keeping asking the why question. So, so yeah, that's why that inspires me. That's why that day was so motivational. That's why that achievement meant so much to me when it seemed pretty minor to everyone else. Uh, why? Why is that? And what you get to uh, when you can no longer answer the question why 
is in that final answer to the question why uh, you get to your priorities. And typically this is something that uh, is located at the level of your identity and your values. Who am I fundamentally? And what is it that I believe is most important in life? What are my guiding, princi guiding principles, my, my values, my beliefs, those kinds of, of things? And at that level, now I realize that, yeah, uh, that's the one thing, uh, the most important thing that I need to achieve. That's the thing that I want written on my grace. So that's the thing I want to, to say when I've finished my career, when I'm retiring, that was my legacy. That was the biggest, the most important contribution that I made. Uh, and quite often when you get to that that one thing, you realize that it doesn't quite marry up with um, yeah, the number of public publications I got, the number of project projects I got. Um, and uh, and for me, certainly, yeah, publications, projects, well, they're, they're a means to an end. Uh, they're what um, protects my, uh, my time, uh, enables me to uh, have enough power within the system to, uh, to be able to do some of the more important things, but whilst keeping my bosses happy. Um, but they're they're the means, not not the end. Uh, and very often, a lot of people I know actually, it's it's about my students. Uh, my legacy is my students. Whether that's my undergrads, whether that's my PhD students, whether it's that one person I mentored who then changed the world, um, uh, or who transformed their life because of of what happened as a result of my mentoring, my coaching, or whatever. Um, and and quite often it is. It's things like that. When you realise that, you think, huh. So actually, why am I bothering with some of these things as if they are not a means to that? And I don't know people who have had that realization and have realized, well, why am I flogging a dead horse with this research career? Because that is, well, how you get respected, how you get promotion when, yeah, you know what, I've got enough money. I don't need to be a professor. That's just my ego speaking. Um, and yeah, so what if nobody respects me because I've got enough papers and, and I'm not high, enough, not high enough up the ladder? Actually, what fundamentally motivates me is my teaching and that's now the course I'm going to take and I'm going to take that proudly and I am going to be uh, the kind of teacher who leaves a legacy of hundreds if not thousands of lives changed in my career and, and that's what I do. Great. Um, but I'm no longer just subconsciously following the crowd and doing what I'm told I'm meant to do or what the peer pressure pushes me into. I'm following my heart and that dissonance suddenly disappears. Great. So um, uh, I've alluded to this before. Um, have a look at the productive researcher. Try my, uh, my identity pie chart. Try my time pie chart. Look at the, the, the differences between and, uh, and then try and sort that out and stop doing the things that you are spending loads of time on that take you further and further away from your identity and your values and try and edge in the things that take you back to that. Now, that's not about uh, doing things completely differently. It's not about um, uh, yeah, changing my job, although it may be if, it's, if they're completely unaligned. Uh, this is about 10 minutes a day, half an hour a day, um, uh, maybe half an hour, half a day a week. Uh, if you can squeeze that in as an academic, I'd suggest that's entirely achievable. Uh, as a professional services member of staff uh, or a postdoc, maybe this is how you're using your lunch break, um, those kind of things. Uh, but I can start to wedge things closer. Uh, when it comes to the personal stuff, quite often it's uh, one simple thing. Uh, I'm a, a, a researcher recently, a productive researcher training, who said, yeah, the, the key thing that is creating dissonance for me is that I've focused so much just on um, the basics of work and family 
that I've been a really rubbish friend uh, and I miss my friends and that's actually a really big part of who I am as a person that I'm a friend and I want to be more of a friend and this was um, for her about saying right um, I'm going to plan a city break with two of my long-standing best friends in the world uh, next uh, in, in the summer uh, at the time it was yeah, almost a year away and um, it's going to be one weekend, but I'm going to spend time planning that, thinking about that. It's going to give me an excuse to, to get in touch with people again, to spend time with them, deciding what we're going to do, uh, anticipating that. And for that one weekend, actually, uh, an almost an entire year's worth of feeling connected to that part of my identity um, uh, and doing something that is aligned with my values as I give back to those friends. And of course, they give back to me as well. Great. So small things that make a big difference to that sense of satisfaction, of motivation, of inspiration, that makes you feel fully human, that makes you feel alive again. What are those things that you could do this year at that deep level? Uh, and maybe it's just one thing, uh, one little thing that you decide that, that you're going to do. Uh, and perhaps embarrassing um, uh, example of this for, for me is um, at the end, at the beginning of 2019, um, I did a, a, an exercise like this, and I asked myself, what are the things that I, that I loved doing that made me feel alive, that connected me to my identity, to my values, that I haven't done for years? And could I choose one or two of those things and make a commitment to do them in 2019? Um, and one of them, bizarrely, was clubbing. Um, so uh, I'm a bit of a techno head, so that's uh, the music I tend to listen to is, uh, is techno. Um, and uh, and I, I, I really miss just going clubbing um, to, in, a, in a proper good uh, techno club with a good DJ uh, and just dancing the night away. Uh, and for me, it was always about the dancing and uh, drinking lots of water because I'm sweating a lot. Um, uh, and uh, people would regularly come up to me and ask me what drugs I was on and ask if I could get, they could get some of my drugs. I'm not a very good dancer. <laughs> um, but, uh, but for me, it was, it was all about that, that, that state you can get into. And it's, it's a kind of a, a primeval kind of state um, where you dance long enough to those repetitive beats and you kind of have this almost out-of-body experience. So I, I lose touch with my, with my body and I go into this kind of spiritual plane. Um, and, and that's a, a place that I found very difficult to get to in any other way. Um, and so, yeah, I committed once a quarter, I'm going to go clubbing. Um, so I spend quite a lot of time uh, away uh, from home. Uh, I travel um, usually two nights per week. Um, and every now and then, that's a, a night where I'm in a city that's got uh, a good club with a good DJ. And, and yeah, if I can organise that so I don't have to get up for an early meeting, then I'll do that. And, uh, and that sense, actually, over the arc of 2019 of just letting my hair down and doing something for me, you know, once a quarter, having a lie-in after having gone clubbing by myself, uh, random, <laughs> dodgy it might look, um, but you know what, I don't care. Uh, and, uh, and, and, and it's made me connect with that part of myself and make me feel more alive. So what is that? Whether it's a personal thing like that, whether it's a professional thing, um, uh, what what is that thing that that you could do in 2020? Uh, and for me, the the thing that uh, that I'm replacing the, the podcast with, sorry guys, um, is uh, is writing my writing my next book. So. Um, uh, over the last year of 2019, uh, I've been reading, I've been writing little bits and bobs um, uh, for my magazine, my blog, uh, recording material for my podcast uh, on this theme of impact culture. 
And uh, and I realized by the end of 2019, yeah, I've got all the material. It's there. I've done the reading. It's in my head. Uh, I've got the ideas. And I'm ready to launch the Impact Culture course. Uh, so that's, uh, we've now, we, we are taking bookings. Uh, we've got a bunch of them booked um, through the first half of 2020. Um, and um, and now I'm realizing, yeah, um, not only am I ready to, to do the course, but I'm ready to write the, the book as well. Um, but of course, the book doesn't write itself. I'm going to have to make some time. So at the moment, I've got one hour per week um, uh, protected on a Monday morning. And it's on a Monday morning for a reason. And that is because my podcast is an activity that for me connects me to my values and to my identity. And I try and keep that kind of spiritual core through each episode, even if I'm talking about something very practical in terms of the impact agenda. Um, because it connects me at that deep level to those two things. Um, and, and of course, then for the rest of the week, yeah, I've done that. I've, I've made that thing. Uh, I've connected with those, those deep parts of myself and I've done something that moves my mission forward. Um, and I know I've got a fairly good uptake on a number of listeners. And yeah, there, there are people now who are being helped and, uh, and I'm achieving that mission. Great. One hour per week, that's all it takes, but there's a sense of progress. Fantastic. Um, so uh, I've, uh, I've, I've gone and, and blocked that out now. So that one hour is now book writing. Uh, and of course, writing a book takes longer than uh, writing a podcast. Uh, my goal is to do this, uh, have a draft uh, by the summer. Now, a lot of the ideas are there. Um, uh, they're either uh, recorded um, or sketched out. I've got um, a dozen podcast episodes episodes sketched out um, for 2020, which I was going to record, but I'm figuring, you know what, rather than doing that time on the podcast, let's actually now put them into chapters. I will record them as podcast episodes. Don't worry, they will come out and you'll get this open access via via this medium. Um, but for the moment, um, uh, there is this, this this call to me that I just, uh, yeah, I need to write this. Uh, it's, it's a book. It's there. It's in my head. I just need to get this on paper. So, in the next couple of months, um, uh, my Mondays are already pretty stuffed up with uh, with appointments. Uh, so um, it's one, two hours, uh, the odd three hour session, and then gradually edging this into three hours per per Monday morning. Um, yeah, if I have to, I'll, I'll stick something urgent in. But uh, I'm trying to average two hours per week. Um, and my hope is that that does what I've uh, experienced before using the technique at the core of the productive researcher, which is that sense of average, uh, an average of two hours per week, I'm getting progress. Wow. And I'm inspired. I'm motivated. I'm exciting, excited. I can see this beginning to take shape. And now, yeah, I'm really busy. Uh, and it's uh, a Tuesday evening and I'm traveling from a, a meeting in Newcastle to I don't know, to Cardiff where I'm training the next morning and there's all these things that I could be doing. And you know what? Yeah, uh, that sense of inspiration has not left me from from Monday. Let me just try and finish that chapter. I'm almost there on this and let's just spend that train journey doing that. And yeah, the, the next bit of that paper or project report or grant application or uh, marking or whatever it is, uh, it can wait till tomorrow, um, but I'm going to put that there. And, and that sense of motivation is what then enables me to edge that forward um, and do a bit more. Even if it doesn't, two hours per week, and I'll have made some progress. And maybe it will be the end of the year rather than the summer. But the time I've got that, uh, got that draft. At the same time, I've uh, established an accountability relationship. So one of my best friends um, uh, is also writing a book. He doesn't know what the book is yet. Um, it's uh, it's maybe a fiction book. Um, it's maybe a non-fiction book. Um, he's got a bunch of ideas, feelings, 
um, and, uh, and and he wants to do something as well. Uh, so uh, we're gonna we, we try and meet up. Uh, yeah, approximately once a month on, on average, and we try and connect by phone um, every couple of weeks uh, in between meeting up with each other. Um, and we just made a, a point to say, yeah, let's be accountable to each other and ask ourselves, did we read anything um, for these projects? Did we write anything for these projects? And if the answer is no, we're going to ask ourselves, well, why not? And we're going to remind ourselves, remind each other of that deeper calling. Uh, why is it that, yeah, as we spoke uh, on the phone last night, why, why is it that? something that is a deep priority that is, is really important for us um, and let's re-engage that sense of yeah who I am what my values are where I'm going what my my, my most important things are in in life and uh, and realize that yeah uh, there were some priorities there that I didn't get quite right and you know what did I have to do that and could I have postponed that and could I have actually delegated that and yeah maybe I'll make some better decisions in the next month um, and, uh, and we keep each other on track in that way, in a non-judgmental way. Uh, yeah, I, I failed too. I didn't write anything either. Why was that? And that's just yeah, not just beat each other up, but remind each other and inspire each other as to what that deep calling was, why that is a priority, so that we make better decisions and prioritize more effectively next month. <coughs> um, at the same time, I'm just dis discussing this uh, with uh, one of my close colleagues, uh, long-standing collaborator um, on uh, one of the papers, in fact, more than one, that two or three of the papers that underpinned the research impact handbook and led to the creation of Fast Track Impact. So, Ewan Fazy, uh, professor at the uh, University of York, um, and, uh, and he specializes in transformation, and we've written a couple of papers on this uh, over the years. Um, and uh, and the, the space that he's in, the space that, that I go into with him in, in the stuff that we've been writing is all about uh, what we can do to, to transform the systems that we are part of. Uh, and that's been about sustainability transitions. How can we transition societies, economies to, say, low carbon, etc. But what we're increasingly doing is thinking about how that applies to organizations and particularly how that applies to uh, universities and our, our latest paper is all about how we transform knowledge systems which actually goes beyond universities but of course they're a big part uh, of that um, and, and so uh, to give you a bit of a pen profile of uh, of the book but this is also the the impact culture course to conclude and to give you a sense of what might be coming to you uh, towards the end of the year, if nothing else, via the podcast, but certainly via book uh, at some point. It's this idea that we start where I left off with the, the productive researcher. That for me, an impact culture uh, is based on people. Uh, and so uh, a culture starts with one person, and that starts with you. That starts with you making some decisions to decide what is most important to you, to understand and clarify what your guiding principles are, what your values are, the kind of identity that you uh, have, that you hold, that you value, that you are projecting into the, the workplace. Uh, and then from there, uh, that is the place of clarity from which we can then start to work with our colleagues, uh, whether that's our research group, whether that's uh, just thinking a, a bit more uh, on purpose about these things with uh, our PhD students or our dissertation students and the kind of projects that we're, we're, we're putting together with them. 
thinking about now our, our values and our identity as, as broader groups and what we're trying to achieve, what are our priorities and what is uh, the, the best work that we can do together over this coming year as a group. And then how do you move from there to a sense of shared values um, and, uh, and a shared identity, a shared culture uh, at the scale of schools, of faculties, of, of universities, but aggregated up from that smaller level rather than imposed from the top down. And it's an idea of, of evolutionary organisations that says that uh, that actually I don't need permission from um, my boss um, uh, or, or a new university to be able to change how I work. And I ask myself, well, what is the best work that, uh, that I can do? Uh, what is that deep priority, that calling? What is the best work of my life? And then what is holding me back? Uh, what is preventing me from doing that? What are the barriers? What are the annoyances? What are the frustrations? And, and I list all of those. And then I ask myself, what are the things that might actually be within my control? And a whole load of these things, the workload model, uh, my job description or whatever else. Yeah, I maybe can't change that, at least not easily. But there's usually a whole load of those things that, you know what, I could do something about that. I could change that. Um, and a lot of those things, when I really interrogate my assumptions that are on the, no, you can't change that. Actually, when you start thinking about, you know what, maybe, maybe I could. Uh, and maybe there's a conversation to be had with the line manager there. And just maybe they might say, yeah, try it out and see what happens. And what I'm doing now is whether it's on that just personal level or perhaps at a broader scale, I'm doing little experiments. Um, uh, and so learning by doing uh, iterative approach where I try that thing out and see, does that overcome the barrier? Does that actually enable me to do that thing that I couldn't do before? Does that remove this frustration? And if it does, then huh, great, let's do more of that. Let's build on that. And of course, let's tell others about that as well. And if it doesn't work, then, huh, okay, let's try something else. And huh, that didn't work either. Let's try something else. And you mothball it, but you learn from your mistakes. You don't get downhearted. Uh, you view it as an experiment. And for many of us as, as researchers, that idea of an experiment, uh, whether that's whether you are an experiment uh, type uh, person, that's the kind of research you do, uh, or it's just, uh, I'm a researcher. Yeah, research doesn't always work, but you always learn from it. There's always something that you can conclude that you can say from the negative findings as well. Great, let's reframe that and learn from that to try out a different experiment, to try something new, a new approach, a new way of doing that. Uh, and what you now have is a change process. This is not a change management process. It's a change process where gradually, um, as people attend my course, read this book, um, uh, talk to people like Johan and, and others uh, who are innovating in, this, innovating in this space and trying to do stuff that is new, you have pockets of people all over the academy uh, setting their minds free and suspending some of those assumptions and saying, you know what, maybe I can overcome these barriers. Maybe I can innovate. Maybe I can try something different. Um, clearly, it's not going to get me into trouble. Um, uh, there are certain things I leave till later. Uh, and I start shifting this culture. I start shifting how we do what we do. Uh, and I create some new norms just uh, A, around how I work now, around how the people in my group work now, how the people around me work. And as that happens, other people start looking in and they realise, huh, Mark's research group works really differently. And all of his postdocs and PhD students seem super motivated and, um, and, and they're way more productive than everyone else as well. And how does that actually happen? Um, and, uh, and how can I learn from that? 
Uh, so one thing I'll be doing this year is, is, is starting a 360-degree program, a 360-degree feedback process where my PhD students and postdocs feed back on my performance and how they think I can help them achieve their potential more effectively. So it's not just an annual appraisal with my line manager and I'm getting the stuff that uh, he wants from a management perspective. Great, I'll do that. I'll do that once a year. Uh, great, but uh, I'm getting that feedback from those under me uh, as well. Uh, so, 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 what can I learn um, from from what's gone wrong and the mistakes? But also, can I start to codify and learn as I'm putting this impact culture stuff, as I have been over the last year or two, into practice in my research group? What can I learn from those successes? And not just from my perspective, but as a good researcher, I'm researching. I'm, I'm evaluating what seems to work in terms of culture, what seems to work in terms of better working practice, in terms of overcoming these barriers, these frustrations, so that when people start looking in and saying, huh, that seems to work better, I'm able to say, yeah, and this is how we do what we do. Uh, and, <clears throat> and my hope is that uh, we're able to, to start that, that process, start that revolution, start that change from the bottom up. At the same time, though, there are these these broader changes, because uh, in every institution, uh, you will have experience. I, I, I guarantee uh, anyone who's been in academia more than five years, you will have experienced some kind of change manage, management process, whether it's a new vice chancellor, a new um, a VC for research, a new dean, a new head of school. Uh, they each feel the need to put on their mark, their grand plan to prove that they have changed things for the better. And who they're trying to impress, of course, is the people above them who have a bunch of metrics, which are usually financial targets, among other things. <coughs> and, um, and by the end of that change management process, they'll be able to have moved some of those metrics, have impressed their boss, and now they're moving up the, 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 the chain in this university or applying for some VC position somewhere else. And great. Yeah, that's, that's helped them. And it's helped uh, the, the university become more financially sustainable. Great. And nothing wrong with that. Uh, but for your average person um, like me, at best, it doesn't affect you. There's no change. Great. We ignore the change management processes that go around us. And that's my default position. I do my best to bury my head and ignore them. <laughs> At worst, of course, uh, this is now a process that uh, leads to a whole load of voluntary severances uh, that are not particularly well uh, chosen. And I've got now a bunch of really demoralised people. Um, I've got a whole lot of other processes. I've got new research groups. I've, I've had to move building. I've had to, I mean, just it can be hugely disruptive and it can be massively demoralising. Uh, Welcome Trust um, just last week uh, produced a, a report about impact culture and it is depressing reading, really properly depressing reading. Uh, the vast majority of us um, uh, find our cultures stifling. They stifle innovation. Uh, and the impact agenda is, is one of the key uh, 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 causes of that, according to, to the survey. Uh, all of these things that are imposed on us by, from the top down. Uh, and uh, and so the second part of uh, 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 the, so the, uh, of the course and the second part of of this book is saying well yeah we can do so much from the bottom up to people power self organising this evolutionary approach learning from what works but we also need that transformation process and can we create a blueprint for that that says to that next generation of university managers who want to make their mark that you know what maybe there's a different starting point and maybe 
that starting point can be, well, what do your members of staff actually want to do differently? What for them would be a game changer? What would be a different working environment, a different research culture? that would transform how people work, make it easier, make it more fun again, uh, inspire people, motivate people, change that sense of morale. Um, and, uh, and actually, as a result of that, enable us all to do the best work of our lives and as researchers to come up with those groundbreaking, innovative ideas and put ourselves at the forefront of those knowledge frontiers within our disciplines. Uh, and in parallel with that, yeah, let's have a think about what, how we then do all of those things in a way which is financially sustainable. And perhaps there's a new generation of uh, research managers uh, and university managers who do change in ways which are more bottom-up that actually uh, in the next change management process you're exposed to actually make your life easier, actually make your working life better. Wouldn't that be a revelation? Um, uh, so, um, so, so I, I think there are there are ways we can do this way, way better. Um, and uh, Yoan is experimenting this uh, with this uh, in his own department. He's actually doing a, a proof of concept at a departmental level. What if you really radically rethought this whole process? Um, and that's something we'll be following uh, through this next year. And um, depending on how it goes, well, however it goes, we'll be putting the lessons into 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 this into this book and into into the training. Um, there is a better way we can work, um, and whether or not you have the power yet, um, uh, or you have the power, maybe you're, you are someone with power listening to this, uh, but whether you have that power or not to change the systems that you're part of, we all have the power to decide what are our most important priorities for 2020, and what will we do to overcome those annoyances, those frustrations, and start experimenting with a new way of doing things, suspending the assumptions that we couldn't, that it wouldn't be possible, that we wouldn't have time, that we wouldn't have resource or whatever it is, and just say, yeah, uh, I'm going to make that my priority and I'm going to make time once a week, whatever it is, an hour per week, uh, 10 minutes per day to do the most important work of my life. <laughs>